Hi folks, it's your host Jay Family Eddie here. Just a heads up that this episode is a two-parter. We're taking a breather over the Christmas holidays and we don't want you to have to wait too long for part two. So you can catch part two when we put it up on the 22nd. For this interview, I did a breezy little flight over to Tel Aviv, Israel. Of course, it was really a huge sacrifice on my end, leaving the rapidly chilling temperatures here around four degrees Celsius for the balmy Mediterranean climate of Tel Aviv where it was mm, 26 degrees or about 78 degrees Fahrenheit. It was tough, but someone from up north needed to do it. What we came back with is a great conversation with a man who is bridging two different worlds, peace building and environmentalism. They might not seem to go hand in hand, but in Gidon Bromberg's case, they do. You're listening to Let's Talk About Water, a podcast by the Global Institute for Water Security and the Walrus Lab. Stay tuned for part one of our interview. <laughs> okay. 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 Let's 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 talk talk talk, 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 talk about, about, about water. 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 Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Intro music. <laughs> Today I'm in Tel Aviv. It's one of the most vibrant cities in the world, but it's also one that is no stranger to conflict. And while sometimes the subject of that conflict is water, water can also be a vehicle for collaboration and environmental peace building. I'm joined by an old friend who has spent his career engaging in water, peace, and security issues in the area. Gidon Bromberg is the Israeli director of EcoPeace Middle East, a regional organization that brings together Jordanian, Palestinian, and Israeli environmentalists to promote sustainable development and advance peace efforts in the Middle East. Welcome, Gidon. Good morning. Great to be here. Thanks so you. much. Thanks so much. Great to great to see you again. For as long as I've known you or known about you, which goes back to about 2011, you've been working with colleagues in Jordan and in Palestine in an organization called EcoPeace. Tell us about it. So EcoPeace is a really unique organization. We're in fact the only organization that exists that is Israeli, Palestinian, and Jordanian together. What does that mean? It means that we have a single board of Palestinian, Jordanian, and Israeli board members, um, three directors, myself, Nada Majdalani, Palestinian co-director, Yana Abu Taleb, Jordanian co-director, an office in Tel Aviv, an office in Ramallah, an office in Amman. It's 60 staff who are committed to the same agenda, each working with each other to move forward uh, environmental peace building, uh, to try and use the environment as a means to solve some of the basic issues that this problem, that this region faces, and through that, start to create some trust, because trust is the key to peace, and the environment is, is one of the means to create trust amongst our various peoples. So when I hear that, I think that sounds amazing, uh, almost idealistic, but I know from, from following your career that things are, things are working out great. So tell, tell me, how's it, how's it working out? So the situation's in a terrible uh, mm. uh, place at the moment, um, but EcoPeace has proven itself over these last 25 years that environmental peace building can work, that uh, our approach of both bottom-up community work 
working with school kids, working with teachers and their principals, working with adult activists and mayors at the community level, can speak to their uh, immediate needs of water supply, of getting sewerage treated and reused, of creating open spaces and protecting biodiversity and dealing with the impacts that you know, perhaps more professionally we would call climate change, but on the ground that speak about uh, 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 consecutive years of drought. Um, so uh, by working at, at, at the community level, um, we're building trust. We're showing uh, communities on both sides of the border that we have actually a lot more to gain by working together, that in fact, the only way to solve our pertinent environmental issues, and particularly our water issues, is to work with the other side, despite the difficulties and despite the condemnation that they will receive for doing so. Because in the midst of conflict, working with the other is working or is perceived as working with the enemy. And we need to empower people at the community level uh, uh, to make sure that they're able to respond and defend themselves, that they're able to come and say to that small but very vocal minority that condemns them, that they're acting in the best interests of their community. And in that way, we can solve you know, very basic issues of increased water supply or protecting an area that uh, uh, was designated to build the separation barrier by the Israeli military. And uh, uh, leaving that area as a preserved area for the benefit of not only both peoples, but for humanity um, uh, you know, from now, you know, hopefully forever. Um, half of our programming is, is this bottom up, asking the basic questions. Where does my water come from? Um, what's happening to my sewerage? Where does my neighbor's water come from? And what's the relationship between the two? And when we ask these basic questions, we understand that environment, of course, knows no borders, that the only way to manage our resources sustainably for the interests of ourselves and for the mutual benefit of, of all communities is to find ways to work together. And when we find ways of working together, what, what we've found in the example of stopping you know, the separation barrier, the wall um, in this uh, uh, area of this Palestinian village called Batir, showed us that if we build trust over water initially, then there's no limit as to how far that trust can take us because the trust built over a decade of cooperation by Israeli and Palestinian communities in this area of Batir, focused initially on water, took the community much further and led residents to join a petition to the High Court of Israel calling for the separation barrier wall not to be built uh, because they came to understand that um, uh, the, the welfare of their neighbor is critical to their own welfare, that the landscape uh, that, we, that, that, that we share or the landscape that was of concern that, that would have been destroyed had this uh, wall been built um, was a landscape that wasn't uniquely Palestinian and wasn't uniquely Israeli. It's a landscape of human heritage of 4,000 years of uh, uh, mountain agriculture developed into this landscape. And once we uh, broadened the understanding, then we were able to get uh, leaders from the community, 
to work together and solve. And, and the result is that the wall until today has never been built. Um, the other aspect of our work is uh, top-down, where uh, we work with universities, we work with experts, uh, we hire consultants, both local and international, to produce reports on the most cutting-edge issues that this region faces. Climate security, water security, national security, um, all related to our shared environment. And here, the reports draw out conclusions, again, that are very much focused on self-interest and mutual gain. Uh, again, that we're in the same boat, and that here, uh, the highest level of decision-makers, our prime ministers and presidents, uh, uh, need to understand the science, need to understand the facts on the ground that due to climate change, due to the fact that we're the most water-scarce region on this planet, if we don't start getting our act together, if we don't start understanding that we uh, need to work together not because of privilege, not because we're doing someone a favor, but for our very survival, um, then, then we're able to elevate what might otherwise be seen as you know, sort of low environment issues, uh, uh, tree hugger uh, type issues, to the top issues of national security. Yeah, that's so. That is um, so. Just amazing. Uh, sounds like you've had some amazing success, and I want to dig into that a little bit more. But you know, you've mentioned some things that are so important: building trust amongst the partners. That uh, environment and water doesn't really know boundaries, right? It's just going to flow down through the river or through the aquifer or spread over the landscape, and it's not going to stop at the at the border. Um, and the communication aspect. And so that is so critically important, the education, communication aspect. I found in the work that I do with water, mostly in the United States and now Canada, that that communication aspect, in particular at some of the higher levels, educating government officials, educating the resource managers and the decision makers um, about what's going on, because oftentimes they don't know, they don't have the background, has been so, so important. And it sounds like you're finding out the same thing. Absolutely. And, uh, and what, we, what we've found to be most effective is to make sure that we're uh, hiring Palestinian experts that can speak to the Palestinian government, Israeli experts that can speak to the Israeli government, Jordanian experts that can speak to the Jordanian government, and no less importantly, to have those three experts do the research together. Because the conflict is so deep here that basic facts and basic science are under terrible dispute. They're, they're, heavily they're heavily politicized. So that the example of the demise of the Jordan River, had you asked at the expert level um, on either side, you know, what's going on here? At the expert level, you would hear predominantly, well, it's the other side that's responsible for the demise. Either they've taken all the water or they're contributing and, and flowing all of the sewerage and pollutants into what was the River Jordan. And uh, in, in order to combat that, we hired a team of local experts from the three countries together, working for a year, collecting uh, evidence on the ground, seeing things together, um, going through the documentation together and coming out with a joint paper that, that shows that 
Every side has something here, both at stake and has responsibility for the demise of the system. It might not be the same responsibility, but highlighting to all sides that you do share some responsibility is essential to the uh, uh, game-changing taking place. And having you know, your own national experts, and, and that's another strength of Ecopy. So you know, uh, the, it's the Palestinian office that leads the advocacy versus vis-a-vis uh, -vis the Palestinian Authority, the Jordanian office of Ecopeace vis-a-vis the government of Jordan in Arabic, the Israeli office in Hebrew to the government of Israel. So that it's, it's Palestinians speaking to Palestinians, Jordanians to Jordanians, Israelis to Israelis, and that tries to sort of pull um, uh, the carpet under the feet of those that come and say, oh, you know, this is uh, a presentation of the other side. No, we are nationals of our own uh, countries speaking for our national interests and the fact that uh, uh, there's mutual gain here uh, to be achieved by working together doesn't uh, take away the, the national importance of this work and by highlighting that national importance we can help you know, defeat those that, uh, that argue that we're traitors, that we're working for the other side and that's so pertinent in everything we do in every action that we undertake, we need to make sure um, that we're empowering the people with us to stand up, defend themselves. And in that you know, sort of argument of, of, of presenting the facts and defending themselves, in fact, uh, being part of the engine that convinces more people of the necessity of working together. So to me, this is an amazing model that moves away from finger pointing, you're involving the local experts to have these conversations, to raise awareness uh, at their local and, and within their own countries, right, with, with their government officials. Uh, so a great model, I think, that could be and probably should be reproduced uh, around the world, especially in places that, I mean, let's face it, we have a lot of conflict across, uh, across borders. Um, so I know you've had a number of successes. Can you share some? And you've already talked about some. Can you share some other uh, successes of, of Echo Peace with us? And then maybe some failures too. So, so the successes are, are, are the easiest to talk about always. Um, and we're uh, often amazed as to you know, how effective we have been over these last 25 years. So we stopped the wall that I mentioned earlier. The only organization. Uh, to have actually stopped the wall being built. In, in other uh, efforts uh, changed the path of the wall. In the case of Batir, uh, we had, uh, uh, were able to divide the government of Israel because the military, which is an arm of the government, uh, came out wanting to build the wall. And because of the nature of our argument, not a blame game, take responsibility, understand um, uh, that this is a, a shared value of all of us, the Nature and Parks Authority of the government of Israel came out, came out against the wall. Uh, first time in, in any uh, case in, in relation to the building of that wall. Um, uh, we're, we're really uh, proud that we've helped leverage, and I, and, and I need to be humble here. The, the money didn't come from Equipeace, but by bringing attention um, uh, from uh, our local communities to the international community, We've been able to attract about a half a billion dollars worth of investments that have improved water supply 
mostly in Palestinian communities, that have helped build uh, sewage treatment plants in Palestine, in Jordan, and in Israel, um, that, have, that have helped build uh, nature reserves and, and, and open spaces for the benefit of the public, um, uh, that have really changed uh, uh, the, the livelihood of the peoples impacted for the better. So, so real concrete improvement on the ground where people were getting you know, water once every two weeks to getting water still not 24-7, but perhaps once every few days. And that's a real improvement in people's lives or getting the sewerage out of the street, getting the sewerage out of the, uh, out of the streams and the rivers. Um, the Jordan River has is, is been a major focus of our work. And when we started our efforts to rehabilitate the river, to bring attention to its uh, terrible state of demise, and we were told that we're dreamers, that uh, there isn't enough water to go around, that water for nature is a waste of water, um, uh, that water will never flow down. Fresh water will never flow down the River Jordan again. And in 2014, despite uh, those statements made, fresh water started to be released again from the Sea of Galilee down to the Lower Jordan. And the people, uh, the, same, uh, the same person, the same people that had said that water would never flow actually became supporters of water flowing again. And, and in, in, in our mind, that's a real measure of success because we didn't uh, force change. We educated and convinced people to turn around, to look at the situation from a different perspective. And by broadening the perspective, they came around and shared the same opinion that, yes, we can release water again, fresh water, clean water, down the River Jordan. Yeah, just, I mean, when I hear this stuff, it does give me hope. And it gives me hope that um, in my own work uh, that I do with respect to raising awareness about things like groundwater depletion globally, but also that this is, again, an effort, a model that could be reproduced around the world. And I can't help but think about some of the issues in the United States, about some of these rivers like the Colorado River Basin. By the time the water reaches uh, Mexico, the U.S.-Mexican border, there's, there's nothing left. And so this type of bottom-up, top-down, and I think the, the bottom-up part is really, really important, is something that not only can be reproduced but, but needs to be. Uh, needs to be reproduced. So those are some success stories. How about some failures? Things that just were non-starters or maybe things that are a slower burn you're going to be working on for a longer time. So, so what we, we try to learn from our mistakes and, and we try to identify what mistakes uh, we employ. When the organization was started for our first five years, we were all top-down. We were all focusing... We're, the organization was focusing on policy work, on, on preparing reports, and we saw very little progress. Um, and that's where we understood that we needed to inject a new component. So the, the whole bottom-up uh, peace-building aspect of our work came from the experience of not seeing sufficient progress from, from only a top-down approach. Um, and, and it's the synergy of the two that we now understand is the key to to the success. Um, but there's still you know, many, many issues uh, uh, that we're still struggling with. 
So, you know, for over a decade, we've been trying to uh, get uh, our, our two governments, the government of Israel and the Palestinian Authority, uh, to agree on a new water arrangement. Um, that, that water is an issue that can and must be solved now and shouldn't wait uh, for any excuse, for any other uh, reason. The fact that uh, water issues were identified as final status issues in the Oslo Accords, um, together with other difficult final status issues, Jerusalem border security, um, it, it ha has been holding water issues hostage has been holding water issues back um, uh, to the notion of a deal of a deal making that either all final status issues are solved or nothing is solved. And you know, we've been advocating now for for many years that it's time to to break uh, that paradigm because that paradigm is not serving our populations. That paradigm is also um, no longer relevant from a conceptual basis because when water was negotiated back in the mid-1990s. There was only natural water, and therefore you can understand that the reallocation of water resources would create winners and losers. Today, there is large-scale manufactured water, particularly from Israel, which means that a fairer share of the natural water uh, between Israelis and Palestinians can take place without any loser, um, any uh, quantity of water that, that must be reallocated, natural water that must be reallocated to the Palestinian side can be replaced uh, uh, to the Israeli side at minimal cost. Um, despite the fact that this makes so, so much great sense and, and everyone we talk to come and say to us, okay, um, uh, we can understand, we, can, we, we understand that we can possibly solve this issue, but they choose not to solve this issue. Um, and that's incredibly frustrating, whether um, uh, you know, it's in the government of Israel, whether it's in the government of Palestine, whether it's the international community, in including the various American um, negotiators, Republican or Democrat. Um, we haven't been able to get the message through uh, beyond the conceptual uh, understanding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, th that this is an opportunity to solve something uh, that will improve the livelihood of everyone on the ground. Right. Yeah, I understand. And, and sometimes the willingness just isn't there. And, and um, you know, it may be that some sort of event like a colossal drought or something like that is what's necessary to uh, to increase that political will and get everybody on, on board. So interestingly, both Guidon and I appear in a water documentary called Last Call at the Oasis that came out in 2012. It was produced by Participant Media, fine film. It's available on Amazon. Um, let's call that, uh, what do we call it, an unashamed plug? And that concludes our chat with Guidon Bromberg this time on Let's Talk About Water. Remember, this is a two-part interview. Next week, we're going to hear more about the story of how EcoPeace originated and how it has had to reinvent itself, and digging into why Guidon got into this line of work. We're going to play a bit of our next episode. When listening, keep in mind that the divides between the countries Guidon mentions are actively in conflict, and the lower Jordan River becomes a border. There are no strangers to bloodshed. Here it is. In the, in the mindset of conflict, not only uh, was water being taken by all sides, so by you know, Israel 
uh, by Syria and by Jordan uh, for legitimate needs of agriculture, domestic needs, industry, um, but was taken all of it in order to prevent the enemy being empowered. Um, and, and that's a mindset that is not uncommon uh, to, a, to a conflict setting, and, and it, it requires a tremendous amount of, of education uh, to overcome. So despite the fact that a peace treaty was signed uh, between Israel and Jordan, with the rehabilitation of the River Jordan as one of the items agreed to by the sides, for a decade, nothing moved forward. Raw sewage continued to flow down the Jordan and no fresh water was released. And the attitude of uh, the respective water authorities and governments was that that is okay. Um, the, the river doesn't count. This is not where the story of the Jordan ends. And if you're listening to this in mid-December, make sure to tune in next week. That's right, we're switching up our bi-weekly uploads this week so you can listen to this one as quickly as possible. After that, we'll be taking a break over Christmas, and then we'll be back in the new year. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Water, a podcast dedicated to the future of water and why you should care. It's a collaboration between the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan and the Walrus Lab. Subscribe today. Don't be shy. Throw up a review on our iTunes page. It really helps us get the word out there. If you're thirsting for more, <laughs> hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com backslash L-T-A-W podcast, or on Twitter and Instagram, type Let's Talk Water. I'd like to throw in some special thanks for the people who made this episode possible. First, to EcoPeace Middle East for setting us up with a studio in Tel Aviv. Thanks to Podcasty Studio for hosting us, and to our folks on the ground, Mark Ferguson, Chelsea Liskowski, Amy Hergut, Laura McFarlane, Jesse Widow, and Morgan Bratton. I'm Jay Familietti. Catch you later.